Our text is Philippians 3, the verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." So far. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 69. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, those who know me know that I'm not the slightest interested in professional sports. About the closest I get to the Edmonton Oilers is watching my catechism students come into class dejected because the Oilers just lost another hockey game. But you'd have to be something of a, a hermit not to know the name of Connor McDavid. Young 20-year-old superstar hockey player for the Edmonton Oilers. This guy is absolutely phenomenal. I once read about Wayne Gretzky that Gretzky had this ability to know where anybody was on the ice at a given moment, so he could always pass the puck in a very you know, good way. And Connor McDavid has something like that as well. He's fast, he's smart, he's always able to pass the puck to the right person so that person scores. When you consider that he's only, he just turned 20, he weighs 190 pounds, Give him a couple more years and a few more pounds, and this guy is really going to be something. He could go down in hockey history with Bobby Orr, with people like Gordie Howe and the like. You know, for a guy who doesn't watch professional sports, I know a thing or two, but like I said, you'd have to be a social hermit not to know these names. Why would I mention Connor McDavid? Why would I talk about hockey in a sermon in a Canadian Reformed church? Well, the Apostle Paul loved sports, and he loved to use sports as an analogy, as an example for the life of the Christian. We see that in our text. He talks about straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul would often talk about running a race, pummeling his body. He had the image of the boxer, the wrestler, the runner. For him, this was the image of a Christian. If Paul lived today, and he was writing today, I could just imagine that Paul is thinking of Connor McDavid, you know, breaking loose from the pack, smoking down the ice, ready to put the puck right into the net. Beautiful example of a Christian straining forward, trying to excel to be the, the best that you can be as a, as a Christian living to God's praise and glory. Now imagine that Connor McDavid, he's just turned 20, that he would say, I am a superstar. I don't have to get any better, and I am a superstar. Everyone's going to say he's great. Well, we'd say, you're, you're crazy. You got, you've got all kinds of opportunities to get better, to get faster, to score more. Why would you be content with staying where you are? Well, we could ask the same question. Why would anyone as a Christian be content to stay where he or she is? And we can ask uh, ourselves the question, what about us? 
how would we describe our life? Am I a spiritual athlete? Do I train? Do I improve? Do I work on my game, uh, the Christian life, you know, more and more to love God and love my neighbor? Some people might say, well, how do you even measure that sort of thing? Well, that's pretty easy. I heard that this morning, both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ made the message very clear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Martin Luther similarly said, the more I know my sin, the more I realize how beautiful salvation is. The life of a Christian is constantly a matter of training and assessment that we see our sins and shortcomings. It breaks our heart. And we turn to our Lord Jesus Christ, not just to be washed clean in his blood, but born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The life of a Christian is a life that's always in motion. And, and you understand we're talking spiritually here because you can get old. You might not be fast at all anymore, but in your soul, you are a spiritual athlete who lives to God's praise and glory. We'll look at our, our text this afternoon under this theme, pressing on toward the goal. Three things. I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And I strain and press on toward the goal to win the prize. Kind of a, a lengthy theme and, and points, but it's straight from our, our text. Something that becomes very clear in this passage is that Paul is not entirely happy with himself. He's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with his relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that carefully because Paul is a man of faith. He is convinced of his salvation. But to be more specific, he wants to know Jesus better. And he wants to give his life more and more in the service of his Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to improve. He wants to get better. He wants to change. You know, what's amazing about that is that Paul hasn't always been this way. In verses four through six, he talks about what his life was like before his conversion by the Lord Jesus Christ and the road to Damascus. And he writes about having reasons to put confidence in the flesh. That means, Paul says, my confidence is in the fact that I'm a good guy. I do good works. I'm better than anybody else. I, I'm earning my salvation. He says, as for legalistic righteousness, I'm, I'm blameless. I am flawless. Now, Paul says, but I consider all of this garbage, and rightly so, because that's what it is. It's garbage. We saw that this morning too with what was happening in Jerusalem in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea that you need to do good works to earn your salvation is garbage. And it's garbage because when you think that way, you hate God. That's what Martin Luther said before his conversion. He said, I, I, I believe that religion was, you know, based on fear that I had to do enough good stuff to earn my salvation. And you know what? I realized I hated God. If you think you're earning your salvation, you can't love God. What is there to love? You're scared of him, terrified. You hate him. But Paul says that all changed when I really met Jesus Christ and got to know him. 
And I learned that I have a loving God and I have a gracious God. I have a God who doesn't say to me, you have to jump through all these hoops to be saved. I have a God who says, believe. Believe in Jesus. His blood makes you clean. His righteousness is imputed to you. His spirit causes you to be born again. For Paul, coming to know Jesus Christ was a life-transforming experience and he wants to know him better. So you see that Paul's concern here is not just for the, the Pharisees who were in his past, but he's also concerned about Christians who are lowering their guard, who are getting lazy and out of shape and are no longer you know, moving forward with that eagerness to know Jesus Christ and to experience him as Lord and Savior. Paul says, I want to grow. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. Now, the question obviously is, what is Paul talking about when he says, I have not obtained all this? So you look at the preceding verse where we read, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You say, now I know what Paul's talking about. What he wants to attain is the resurrection of the dead. What he's thinking about is the last day of the world. When Jesus Christ will come in the clouds of heaven and wipe away the tears from his eyes and bring him into the new heaven and the new earth. And of course, that's what we as Christians are hoping for. But it's not the complete picture. It's, it's incomplete and for the life of a Christian, incomplete is wrong. You know, we're not Christians who are simply looking at the goal at the end. We're also living in the moment. Life is important as we experience it now. Just look at verse 14, which we'll deal in the next point. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the goal there, heavenward, that, that's the end goal. But it's calling me in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm being called now to know my Lord Jesus Christ, to experience him and, and to live from the blessings he gives me. That's why Paul said just before our text, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing grace, greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul is not just pursuing the end goal. He is in hot pursuit of Jesus Christ right here and right now. It's in that daily hot pursuit that Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. And you understand, of course, that Paul is still a sinner. He doesn't understand everything perfectly. So he has not totally come to know Jesus Christ in, in his life. But that's why Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In the New Testament, one of my favorite words is but. Paul says, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. I, I, I'm going for it. I'm going for my Lord Jesus Christ. But even as he says that, there's something absolutely marvelous when he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we wonder, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's try to answer that by asking a question. 
How did you become a Christian? Did you take certain steps? Were you in a program? Was it your decision? The answer is no. You didn't take hold of Christianity, but it took hold of you. Paul's talking here about the grace of God, the electing love of God. I didn't even know who Jesus was, says Paul, except I thought he was a, a bad guy until God stopped me on the road to Damascus. Jesus Christ took hold of me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Paul says, here I am. My heart is wide open. I am in hot pursuit of Jesus because he first came to me and opened up his heart to me. See, Paul says, I, I wanna know this Jesus better who has come into my life, my Lord, my Savior. He opened to me. He showed me grace. I want to know and have Jesus more and more in my life. And that brings us to our second point where Paul says at the beginning of verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Kind of similar to what he just said. I love this line of the Apostle Paul because I'll tell you honestly, brothers and sisters, Paul is the hero of my life. Most important man in my life is Jesus Christ. Second is the Apostle Paul. If you read his letters, he has that ability, of course he's led by the Holy Spirit, to take the whole Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus Christ and bring it all together in a very personal way that, that you can identify with Paul. So the only thing that you see is Jesus Christ who died for me, my Lord and my Savior. So here's Paul, he's, he's larger than life. Look at what he writes. Is he perfect? Paul says, no, I'm not. I'm not any better than you. We meet Paul in, in, in Romans seven, weeping, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The hero of my life, the man I regard as the most important person in my life other than Jesus Christ is also a sinner, is also weak, and he also needs to grow. I consider myself not yet to have taken hold of it. That he also said that in the previous verse, not that I have already been made perfect, I don't know Jesus Christ as well as I should. And I'm not bearing the fruit of the Spirit as well as I should. I need to grow. There's an important observation for every Christian to, to make here, uh, brothers and sisters. Like, would you agree with Paul? Would you say, I, I'm not yet perfect? I, I have not achieved, you know, the goal of my life and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you feel that certain tension in your life? The tension of, I, I know Jesus as my savior, but I really need to get to know him better and experience him in my life. Or do we perhaps say, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm born in the church. I, I made profession of faith. I'm sitting in the worship services every Sunday. So I, I think I'm doing okay. 
That is yesterday's grace. You have been living from grace. You are running well. What's preventing you? You know, one of the the worst things that can happen to a, a Christian is that you lose traction, that you lower your guard, that you don't really care anymore, that you're not trying, you're relying on yesterday's grace rather than moving forward to take hold of Jesus Christ who's taken hold of us. Now, I say this carefully because I, I don't want to send anybody home with, with doom and gloom questioning, you know, am I a Christian or not? That's not the point. I, I believe, you know, that you are Christians. I, I can't look in your heart. But are you Christians who are growing, who have that tension, that sense, I am not where I ought to be. There are so many things in my life that I need to change and I need to improve. And that brings us to the question, well, how do you do that? I mean, it's nice to say these things, but how do I grow in faith? How do I get closer to my Lord Jesus Christ? We all know, of course, the value of the preaching of God's word, catechism classes, Bible study, and so on. But the most important thing in our life, the most important thing in your life is rigorous, personal Bible reading. That we are people who are reading our Bible regularly, avidly, hungrily, every day of our lives, and in the right way. You know, sometimes people will say to me, I I, I read the Bible because I'm looking for commandments to teach me how to live. Or I read the Bible because I want to know how to make my marriage better. And I'm inclined to say, and I say this carefully, forget that stuff. Don't, look for, don't go looking for commandments. Don't look for patterns, how to have a better marriage. Because that's not the first thing you're looking for. What you're looking for is Jesus Christ. That whole Bible is his. And every page of the Bible is talking about him. You go right back to Genesis 3 through the whole Old Testament. Every page is talking about Jesus Christ. And he is the light that shines in darkness. He is so incredible. He came because he loved us. He came to take our sins upon himself and to die for that on the cross. And if you know that in your heart, if you experience that, Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. He made me a son, a daughter of the living God. That, brothers and sisters, is what turns life around and fills it with joy and draws us nearer to God. And and as that happens, then we also begin to see the commandments and we begin to see the beautiful things the scripture tells us. And the Bible is like an onion. You peel it, it's got layers. You can spend your whole life reading the same Bible, the same book, the same chapter, more and more comes out of it. You learn how to love your wife or your husband. You learn how to be honest in your work. It's all there when you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And our sins, our conscience gets pricked again and again. And we realize, you know, how many ways we offend our God. If you're not reading your Bible, you know, you you can just, you know, blast through life you know, carelessly as a sinner. It's kind of like a, an old sweater of mine that I wear in the garage. It's out of shape, 
smells a bit, threads stick out of it. My wife and kids would be mortified if I wore it in public. I love that sweater. I don't even think twice about it. Sin is something like that. There are things in our life that stink, that are sag, that are baggy, that are threadbare. We don't even notice it. The, the addiction. The way, the way I, I give the people I love the silent treatment, how I might be unethical at work, I don't notice it. I don't feel it. I don't care about it. But the more I know Jesus, the more I rigorously pursue him in the Bible, go after him, the more I see the ugliness of the things that I think, say, and do, how deeply it offends my God and how badly I want to change. And I can. In my Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood and spirit, we can change. We need that attitude that Paul talks about. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but I am going for more. That brings us to the last section of our text, which starts with the words, but one thing I do. In Greek, Paul actually has only two words, but one. And we understand what Paul is doing there is he wants us to realize he is focused. He's talked about a lot of things. And he's coming to a climax. He says, but one. There's one thing that is important for me and that stands out. And he writes that with the addition of the words, forgetting what is behind. Now, we're not exactly sure what Paul's talking about. Behind him was his old life as a Pharisee. Was he thinking of that? Or was he thinking of the last 20 years where he was that great missionary to the Gentiles? In a way, it doesn't matter. Paul says, I, I, I forget what's behind. I look to the future. And indeed, all of us, brothers and sisters, we have a past. There may be things that were wrong. There may be wonderful things in our past. You can't rely on that. This is not what, what defines you going forward. It's like the story of the tortoise and the hare. All that hair, he just smoked down the path. He was winning and he decided to have a rest and the tortoise passed him by and won the race. It's not what you did that you can rely on. What are you gonna do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? And that's Paul's focus, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Very much the language of the athlete. You can just see Paul there on the ice. Oh, he breaks away from that group that's all around him. An unbelievable blaze of speed, pressing forward. He's got the puck ready to put it in the net. That's Paul's life as a Christian. He's an athlete. He's training. He's moving forward, straining toward that upward goal, the prize that calls him heavenward. And indeed, you know, Paul is talking here about the end goal. He brings it up again at the end of the chapter when he talks about our citizenship is in heaven. We await a savior who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Paul says, my life is a race. I'm always looking ahead. I'm moving faster, serving my Lord, looking for that day that I meet Jesus. I met him on the road to Damascus, but I'm gonna see him again face to face. It will wipe away the tears from my eyes and it will make my body glorious like his body. 
Now, what is beautiful and outstanding is that when Paul writes about this, he talks about the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I'm looking at the words, has called me. When has God called me? When is God calling me heavenward in Christ Jesus? He's doing it right now. He's doing it in the preaching. He does it through his word. When you open your Bible, when you hear a sermon, God is calling you heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ stands before you this afternoon, brothers and sisters. You can't see him, but he's there in his word. He stands before you and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives you the well-meant gospel offer. He has come and taken hold of you. Pursue him, want him, hunger for him, hold on to him, and be drawn into a life that is rich and joyful with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's gonna be an amazing journey. It's gonna be an amazing journey with a glorious end result. I don't want to belabor my introduction, but if I could just go back to it one last time, we would all say, Connor McDavid, if you don't improve your game, you're crazy. Brothers and sisters, if, if we're not moving forward with eager anticipation of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ better, we're not just crazy, we're just dead wrong. We have an amazing savior who loved us, who died for us, who's preparing a place for us. I want to know him. I want my whole life to be focused on one thing, a relationship with him. Amen.